Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is microphone developer Eric Heiserman. First of all, we may be seeing the end of music genres. Yeah, we've been classifying music for a long, long time, but that might not be the best way to do it. Spotify recently did a study called 2021 Wrapped, and that helped address this question of musical genres. Do we really need them? And instead, they came up with something called Audio Auras, which was a visualization that basically took two adjectives describing a user's listening habits. So it could be something like wistful and comforting, or happy and cozy, or energetic and bold. Now, it turns out that younger listeners really don't care about genres. They only care about how music makes them feel. We can go way back to 2015, where there was a paper by the Echo Nest that basically found out that cultural data was more important. So in other words, they would call a song dreamy or ethereal or bedroom or energetic, chill, anything like that. When we look at the old school way of doing things, like the way Pandora has, where they use musicologists to figure this out, basically they came down with five different genres. Pop rock, hip-hop and electronica, all one, jazz, world music, and classical. But now we have a motion-driven organization. And this is actually better, because, for instance, we can have sad artists become happy, like Lord. Or happy artists become sad, so you classify them as one thing on one album, but the next album it might be completely different. Categorizing by mood isn't perfect, but the fact of the matter is some people can't tell you what genre a song falls under, but everyone can tell you how it makes them feel. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Also, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, it's possible that lossy codecs like AAC and MP3, AMR, Vorbis, any of those that we're using now across streaming networks, sending to each other, whichever way you look at it, online audio is data compressed. That might be a thing of the past, however. There's something new called Bluetooth LE. This was actually announced at the beginning of 2020, but it was delayed because of the pandemic. And what it is is a more efficient way to transmit audio wirelessly. What you get is a higher quality at basically the same bit rate that's being used now or even lower. And what that means is a lot lower power consumption as a result. It can also connect to multiple devices. For instance, like if you're wearing two earpieces, the left and the right one will be connected separately. Or you can do numerous headphones to one single source, for instance. 
And this goes hand in hand with Qualcomm's new standard called APTX, which is a lossless standard that looks like it's going to catch on. And what this will do is give you CD quality audio on your wireless devices. This won't be available on the gear that you have right now though, because it requires a brand new codec, but it's a big step forward in true high quality wireless audio and expect it to be coming to the new range of audio gear that will be coming out probably later in the year. My guest this week is Eric Heiserman, who started making microphone capsules as a hobby back in 2010. Intent on capturing the classic tones of the most famous mics in the world, Eric managed to reverse engineer several classic capsule designs. He soon began providing capsules for sale to the do-it-yourself community. In 2015, Eric partnered up with fellow audio engineer and gear builder Matt Mitchell. The two continued to refine and develop Heiserman capsules, while also scaling up production capacity and developing new microphone products. During the interview, we talked about how Eric discovered that the capsule is the most important part of the microphone, why he built his own CNC machine, why most classic mics sound different, finding the ultimate Tom mic, and much more. I spoke with Eric via Zoom from his facility in North Carolina. I want to find out how you got into the music business. What's your background? Wow. Okay. So I, I'm a musician. I um, I'm played drums since I was very small. I, I honestly have no memory of not playing drums, which is kind of one of those situations. You know, I just was a drummer. I, my dad was a drummer and I, any, any sort of father figure in my life had been a musician and a drummer mostly, you know? Um, so I, I played in rock bands starting in sixth grade on and uh, had aspirations to really, you know, make it as a professional for a while. Um, and then quickly, you know, in, in around age 18 or 19, you know, at going to school for drumming, realized that I wasn't the, the hot thing I thought I was, you know, and, you know, moved, moved, I, I born in Iowa, born in the Midwest, moved to Florida with my parents after graduating high school and had a, ambitions to go into like school for music more. And then ended up falling into a tech job at IBM and, you know, fell into the, the in that tech industry and was quickly realized that there was a lot of more financial gains <laughs> than being a musician and just took that road until, you know, and still played music and still played music with a core group of guys that I had been really good friends with since high school and uh, still loved to play music, loved to play live and played in bands with them all the way through. And, but of course, with that comes recording, right? And I have a friend that was, Luckily, luckily had uh, early employment at Microsoft and walked away with just a pile of cash. Right. And he was the guy that had the studio. Right. And with that, of course, but I'm into that recording as well. I'm the, I'm a tech guy. I like the, the, this is like the early, you know, like around the two thousands. Right. And it was like, Oh man, this is like all the computer audio stuff. So easy to get and your like software was easy. And I started getting into that about some near fields. It was like, this is great. And then we both started, recording the bands that we were playing in. And what happened was, is I never had the microphones, right? But my buddy did. And I'm like, I want the microphone really bad. And by this time, it's like 2008, 2009, right? And I thought 
I grew up in a jewelry store. My grandparents owned a jewelry store. So I was really knew how to work with metal. You know what I mean? I kind of grew up there and I thought to myself, I could build a mic. It's got to be somebody out there that's come up with a, the electronic part of this, right? And I wanted a tube mic, of course. So I looked in around and I found a website, Group DIY. You might even be familiar with it. Yeah. They And I found this mic that was, a, this is, you know, a G7 microphone, which was this giraffe guy built. And I said, done. Spent the money, not much. You know, they're cheap to build. You get the board and you stuff it and then there's a little case and stuff. And I, I bought a lathe off like Craigslist for like hundred bucks, you know, and I made the body, I made the head basket, everything and bought a capsule from a, uh, another microphone company that's still around at the time. There wasn't many options. You know, there was basically Peluso had some spare capsules that you could buy. And then there was some, you know, Chinese capsules weren't like the Alibaba thing. Now you can go on and find a hundred of them for 20 bucks, you know, but, but then it was, there wasn't a lot of options. So I bought one and built this mic. It was beautiful. I loved it. Then I was like, Oh, I got to build them chain. So I built an LA two a, and I built a preamp and I started kind of went down that road, but quickly I learned that the capsule I was not happy with. Right. So I, again, through group DIY decided, God, I could build a capsule. I could do that. There's guys doing that. Right. And started researching it and literally built a, a K 47. Well, actually it was an M seven. The first one I built on my lathe, along with a, <laughs> this is kind of funny to think about a, um, a drill press from, uh, you know, like the, the handheld, like Dremel tools. It's like a little thing that click and I hand printed out the pattern, got the drill bits and hand drilled an M seven. I kid you not. Wow. And it was, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> so then this is the weird part. I spent the next two years. My daughter had just been born in 2010. And so this is all when this is going down. I spent the next two years, kind of got out of the DIY audio thing, building a CNC machine. Wow. So I wouldn't have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> that was my only motivation was to not having to try that again. But it because it actually worked. The capsule function and made noise and it worked. And I was so thrilled. I actually found another kind soul in the in the capsule world which they're not, you know, at the time there was, it was everybody's told right to their chest who actually sent me some Mylar that was already coded. So that's a big hurdle, right? Yeah. So I had gotten some like seconds. So that's how I was able to make this capsule. But that, then I was, then I was like kind of bit by it. Right. So I, but the M seven is really a hard capsule to build. I don't know if you know this, but this is, I'm going to nerd out for a second for you. Yeah. The M seven capsule is fairly thin. It's only six millimeters thick right? Yeah. And that weird hole pattern that everybody thinks is really purposeful and magical. It's not, it, it's actually, so the hole on one side is four point something millimeters deep. The cold thickness of the capsule is six millimeters. So it's almost going through the other side, but doesn't, but the other side has to have the same number. So they crisscross. Okay. Yeah. So you can't, and so the whole pattern, if you match them all, if they were, let's say you drilled all the way through an M7 on both sides and you held it up, it would just be concentric circles of the same hole over and over again, just next to each other. Bing, 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 bing. And so the way that works is so they just would crisscross each other. So my crappy hand-drilled CNC machine, what would happen is they would sometimes run into each other. So it's a very hard capsule to build for that reason, right? If you have to be very accurate. And my first CNC machine was not accurate. So what happened was I kind of pivoted there was a guy building 87 
boards on group DIYs. I was like, you know what? I'll build an 87 capsule. So I'm, you know, and that's a one-sided capsule and two sides stuck together. And then all the holes don't, there's no crisscrossy problem. Right. So I started, I built one of those and the, and then built the 87 and it sounded perfect. It was beautiful sonic capsule. And, um, I, uh, started, I might as well sell them because I had kind of went in the hole for two years and my wife wasn't very happy about that of like the CNC machine, you know, cause yeah. that, cause of course it, it started out like, uh, you know, home Depot build, and then it got more and more and not by the end of it, the thing weighed like 400 pounds, you yeah. know, it was crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm like, Oh, I, I know what I'll do. I'm going to, uh, build capsules and sell them on group DIY to other guys. Why not? And that really kind of took off. It was like, started out real slow. And then I was still doing all the machining myself. So then I was like, okay, this is getting too much, you know? And by then I was, I was living in Chicago and I was lucky enough to find a place in Chicago locally that I, um, would coat the Mylar for me. So that was a huge part of making the capsules. Finding that was like magic, right? So, um, now I still use them and I can get, I get about 250 done at a time. So it's quite a few little spots and I had the masks made and I had to supply the gold and all that stuff. And they just kind of hold on to that for me. And that's, that's really what started the business because I could get that. And once you have that, it's just, you know, learning how to tune, which of course was not easy. It was, nobody wants to share that information, but there's a lot of things that people assume is true. It's not, you know what I mean? You can make, you can make a tune. I was, my first capsules were way out of, I mean, they were like stretched to who knows what, maybe like, you know, they're 5,000 Hertz or some crazy number because I didn't know what I was doing, but they all sounded good. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. a lot of flexibility to how much you can make to make a capsule sound bad. It takes some work actually, surprisingly. Right. So, you know, that's how I got started. And then it was just, you know, I got some OEM deals through some other mic companies. And then it was like, started like, okay, this is getting to the point of where I'm just not a PayPal, you know, and I just, you know, cause most of the money just went right into my studio. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. like, funneling all the funds. I was like, woohoo, you know, and finally it was like, okay, I had to make this a real company. And then that was in around 2017. And then it was just better start building mics. I can't, you know, do capsules. It's great, but I was sort of doing that. So I started with the 47, had a, another local guy that when I was doing the OEM stuff, I hired to learn how to do the capsules. Cause I was getting orders for hundreds of them. And it was just something I had to like, I had to scale up and I have a full, I still have a full-time day job. I'm, I work in finance, but, um, it was, you know, one of those things where I was just like, okay. And then kind of brought him on as a, as a part, a partial partner. And then when I started building the mics, one of the guys that you met at NAM, his name's Dave. When I first built that 87 capsule and I posted on group DIY, he was on that thread and was like, Oh, I just built one of these 87s as well. I have a microphone parts capsule, but I see you're in Chicago. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm in, yeah, I'm in Chicago. I'm on Chicago and blah, 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 you know, on the streets. And he's like, I'm like a mile away from you. Wow. So he came over to my home and we shot him out or it might've been his house. I don't remember exactly, but we shot them out, you know, had the Chinese capsule 87 against the home, my very first capsule, which I still have by the way. And then it was just like, Oh man, this is awesome. He's like, so, and so then we started becoming very close friends and just over time, he started learning more about electronics and I'm still doing the capsule thing. He ends up moving to Nashville. I end up moving to North Carolina. He's in Nashville, just starts having really good success repairing vintage mics. 
just because of the history and, you know, he's good electronics and soldering and really was into the, and got a job learning how to actually lay out PCBs for another company that wasn't really related. So it just kind of all calm, calm, you know, came together. And, and, uh, so now, so what happened was before he came to North Carolina, which is like only a, this year, he was like, I was just sending like a contractor, you know, I'd say, Hey, look, Dave, I need these boards made and I need these mics built. One thing about Dave is that not only is he his amazing tech and amazing at building, like doing all the, the circuit layout stuff, his, he's an engineer too. He's an audio guy. His ears are insane. Really, really, really good ears. And I've learned over time, I'm, I'm a drummer, so my ears, you know, <laughs> can't be that great. <laughs> yeah. So I've used him as a way. And of course, now you learn how good mics sound. You know, yeah. there's like yeah. that 1% zone, you know, that there's a spot when they sound right, yeah. you know it. And he knows that. And he's had real vintage mics. A lot of guys, when they say, oh, I want a 251, I'm going to go buy a warm or whatever. And it's like, have you ever heard one? Do you know what one sounds like? Yeah. I bet 90% of the people out there have no idea what a really good 251 sounds like. Because even if you get an old vintage one, line times out of 10, they're out of spec. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? You, you know? So sometimes in better ways, they're out of spec. But there's one of the real famous uh, mics that we kind of modeled our recent 251 that's getting hopefully out this fall is this famous mic in Nashville. It's like Dolly Parton's 251. I don't know if you've heard of it, but yeah. um, there's a guy, Jeff who uh, Steiger, who's actually came from the group DIY world as well, who now does the Cappy. Are you familiar yeah, with all oh, the Cappy yeah. preamps and stuff? Yeah. He's a good buddy of ours. Cause we kind of came from Chicago in the group DIY community. Right. Yeah. And he has Dolly. And so we kind of, and that thing is honestly a little out of spec, but it sounds wonderful. So you can't, you know, but Again, back to the point, it's like, you know, how many people have heard a real 47? How many people have heard, heard a real, you know, whatever. I'm fat mics are a little bit easier to come by, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, that that's where we want to live, by the way, is that, that 1% zone, you know, as we fight for it. The people I talk to that have tried your mics up against the real thing and people with golden ears, as I see them anyway, they've all raved about what you've done. They all have said, this is really it. It's better than mine. That's humbling. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. There's a lot of really smart people out there that are kind of doing what you're doing. They're making some good mics. Yeah, for sure. What makes yours different or better? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the one of the biggest things is that the calving, the capsule manufacturing, all literally is all done within like 45 minutes of my home in terms of like machining, right? It's um, lucky to find some amazing guys that are just true artists when it comes to machining, right? Particularly one guy who um, just, you know, it's just can hold an accurate uh, cut of microns. And it's just like wow. hard to think about, you know, and it's just like, how do you, and it's not just that it's consistency. He's amazing. And so that piece of it, I think is a lot of it. I've got, you know, the the control from literally start to finish. It's not just testing a capsule. It's making sure they're all machined correctly and test and then all the the mylar is all everything is everything's done by us. Even all the machining for the bodies is all done in house. So that has a lot to do with it, of course, but what I think really is is like kind of what what I mentioned before is the ears sort of having the ears on the actual real good mics having guys like yourself 
sort of give the feedback that you want to hear. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, that, that's what sets us apart. I think a lot of, and it might be our own, de- our own demise because of it, but you know, I mean, it's like, it's hard to make money selling mics, you know, but you know, I've, I'm proud to say that most of the guys using our mics are guys making records, winning Grammys, which, you know, it's just, I never once thought I would ever see my mic used on a, you know, something that won album of the year. You know what I mean? And that's, we were lucky to have, uh, even though a small part of that album for Casey Musgraves, the Golden Hour album, you know, we were lucky to have that happen. And that really kind of helped set us off in the right direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Having guys like Craig Alvin, I don't know if you're familiar with Craig, but he um, has been, again, another person that's been kind of helped with the ears part. You know, mm-hmm. somebody who, who's been worked, Joe Ciccarelli, he's kind of came up with Joe and Joe is, you know, all these guys that I'm just like, you know, kind of flabbergasted that there's, that humbling thing. I was like, oh, these are amazing, you know? So yeah, I think that's what sets us apart. A lot of other guys, you know, make really good mics though. There's some, there's a handful of them out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a manufacturer used to be here and he told me that before he made his, uh, I think it was his 251 clone. He rented every one that he could find from every rental company in Los Angeles and he borrowed whatever he could. And then he went through like a dozen of them to find the right one to model. So I understand what you're saying. In fact, that they're all different. I mean, you know, sometimes you can yeah, go in are. and try one and it's like, wow, this is magic. And other times it's like, ah, I don't know. It's, Something's not, not right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're saying that's mostly a spec thing then. And, or did they start out life like that? I think a lot of them are out of spec. I think a lot of like the capsules will get out of, you know, uh, this is a, something not a popular thing to put out there on a podcast, but one of the largest components of a good sounding capsule is the capacity of it. And now what I mean is like, mm-hmm. you know what a capacitor is, right? Yeah. Capacitance, the, yeah. yeah. The capacitance of a capsule really can make a capsule sound bad or good. Right. And those, those numbers, when they measure a capacity on a capsule, when you're building one, especially on like a CK 12 or even a 47 or an M seven, that, can really change the way the capsule sounds. And that's why a lot of Chinese capsules sound bad yeah. is because, you know, they're just slapping them together. They're pre-tuned and glued. And then the, you know, the, they're just bang, 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 bang. Maybe this one will sound good. Maybe it won't, but they don't, they don't measure that capacity. Yet, right. So they're out often out of spec. And that's what you see in an older capsule sometimes is that you'll see, um, you know, out of spec capacitance and that'll really change it badly or for the sometimes it works like dolly it's way out of spec but it sounds beautiful and sometimes the broken gear you know it just sounds good <laughs> but you know tell me about the type 19 oh yeah it's crazy mike right um very proud again that's real i'm really happy with that one so we built did the fet 47 first right and that just kills of course on drums right everybody yeah. knows the fat 47 lives on a drum kit right it's kick drum is what obviously the most famous for it but i don't know if you've ever tried it but a fat 47 and a tom sounds killer yeah you know it really does and then floor toms or whatever you know but who wants to put especially if you have an, a vintage neumann you know it's worth a lot of nobody wants the guy to smack it you know i wouldn't as a drummer would rather just put that crappy 421 up i'm happy you know, I'll smack that all day. I don't care, you know, yeah. but the, if somebody puts, so that was the kind of the idea. And honestly, there was a, another engineer that said, oh, you guys should do a, like a mini FET 47 that you could put on a Tom. That'd be a really good idea. And we we're all like, it's a really good idea. So 
initially I came up with the design of the body to really think about taking a stick hit. That's, that's sort of, and, and it's funny, the very first one that I had prototype body made, it was way different. It had just a little tiny hole with some slots in it just for the capsule. It was super encased and had like a rubber thing that the capsule went into and it had no real air around it. And it sounded like crap. (laughs) It did not work. It was, but it was like, you could have ran it over with a semi. I'm not kidding. It was that durable. And it, but of course the capsule needs to breathe more. So, so what I had done, cause I have a, I saw my CNC machine. I just started slowly hacking away at that first prototype body to kind of get enough, you know, air and stuff around it to make it sound right. The circuit we came up with, um, I just was like, we wanted, I don't want the circuit to get in the way. I want it to be super flat, just nothing. So it's just a real simple, you know, fat circuit. It's nothing special. Um, and uh, it's just, um, it's all surface mount. It's a real simple circuit, but no transformer, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mostly the capsule. And when when we finally came up, we altered the design and kind of kept altering it, came up with the rubber mount that is, um, you know, it's funny. I'll show you. I got a bag of them on my desk because this is like an early prototype version that was a little bit soft from the rubber side of thing. But it's like inside the microphone, the capsule is, is sort of, held by a rubber it's sort of like have you ever seen the inside of like a four and a later 414 they have like this but this is the it just i don't know if you can see oh it, but yeah it's yeah, yeah. real simple it, yeah. the capsule goes around it this is captured on the side and it's real you know it's like it's like a rubber band yeah it's super, but that's to hold that capsule in that mount and not you know when it gets smacked with a stick it's not going to hurt the capsule so that was sort of part of the design and when we <laughs> We uh we took six of them. Are you familiar with Addiction Studios in Nashville? No, I'm not. It's you know the um I always forget his name. It's Jonathan Kane, I think. It's the keyboard player from from uh from Journey, yeah. Yeah. His studio in Nashville, it's one of my favorite rooms in Nashville. It's a great room. Uh, obviously Jonathan's not there a lot, but the guy who runs it, David Kalmuski, is a really good buddy of ours. And um he was kind enough to we brought we built like six of them because we weren't real sure about some settings like the biasing of the capsule and stuff and the mic and stuff so we brought six pairs yeah six i think it was six pairs or six mics maybe three pairs of mics and we just started trying them out on everything and they're all kind of dialed in a little bit differently and we found the one we liked the most and then we just put it on everything and it blew all of our minds because this is the first time we'd ever really heard them on a bunch of sources the kick on a kick it goes down to like 10 hertz it's a crazy it's super it goes just forever and it sounds it's got a nice top. It's real flat. It's a 47 capsule. It's our 47, which is a little bit different than a regular K47 capsule. That's a funny story, actually. I might get into with you, but um, no. And they sound amazing. I think they sound great on everything. Drums, of course. Toms. Um, we've got some guys that are really ha- are happy with them, on like that are drummers and, and pros um, that just use them for their home setup. But then, you know, kick drum is where a lot of guys live. Like Rob Schnapp uses it pure, purely on a kick drum that yeah. stays there. Some guys like it on piano, like Tom Monahan. I don't know if you know Tom, yeah. but yeah, he um he has he has a pair on piano. That's where they live. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, and then then uh, a guy named Adam Greenspan. He just did the uh, Block Party album, which is a recent, really good album, by the way. Um, he used he used it on toms, and then he put him on guitars, and was like, oh my god, the guitars are so it's weird. It's like it works kind of. Depending on the taste of the engineer, it really fits a lot of guys. So that mic, I'm very proud of. 
You know what, Eric? I'm hearing a theme here. Yeah. And the theme that I'm hearing is you really concentrate on the capsule, and the capsule is king. Yes. What I hear from other manufacturers is the electronics. It's always about the electronics and less about the capsule. Or the emphasis is more on electronics and less on the capsule. Yeah, that's true. For me, it's a little sad truth, right? Because I'm a capsule guy. It's my thing, you know. And, of course, the electronics are important. But and I think it's a real number. 90% of the sound of a mic is in that capsule. That says a lot. Yeah. You know, 10% is, and honestly, a lot of artists say that's fudge factor. You know what I mean? You know, it's yeah. like, you know, the, that capsule is really a super important piece, most important. If that thing doesn't work and doesn't sound right, you know, and that's sadly where man, mic manufacturing is gone. I might say some controversial things here, but, you know, the way that people run businesses now is that you come up with a design. You might include some, you know, American made something to make it sound better or in terms of brand uh, image. Right. And then you contract manufacturer in China. They s- assemble it put a capsule in it that may or may not be good. Some There are better than others. Some do good jobs, some don't. And then they palletize them and send them to Sweetwater. You know, it's like the sad truth. Now, listen, the, the growth and the, the way the industry has changed dictates that, of course, right? Because the guys that are making records in their bedroom can't afford a $6,000 mic or a $1,000 Tom mic or a, you know what I mean? There's just, I get it. You know, so I'm, I think there's a place for it. I'm not trying to make them sound bad, but that's just where things have gone. So even, you know, it's harder to find a mic company. There's only a handful of us that really focus on the capsule and all the rest. I think it's, you know, of course, you know, sadly, the, the capsules are the easy part. I, honestly, it's most important. But I, right now, I've done it for so many years. That part's easy. Manufacturing in the States is hard. Okay. So what is the most important attribute of a capsule then is it the tuning that's a big part of it right the tuning is honestly a little bit more forgiving than you would think i like to think of it like an eq okay Mm -hmm. so you've got a capsule let's say you know and there is the high end there's the mid-range and then there's the bottom right the bottom is easy to control that's where the tuning really comes in so tuning a capsule right the best tuning of a capsule is just loose enough to where it doesn't collapse Okay, because you know you know how a capsule gets sags and sucks back because the voltage blah blah blah, right? So that anywhere before that happens is good. It's really as loose as it can go, and that's where all the low frequencies live. So the looser and the you can get without collapsing, of course, the more low end you'll have. So that's kind of that part of it. The actual hole pattern, all that part of it, that's sort of your mid range bump. So if you imagine if you had a capsule backplate or, or like even just a capsule with just a tuning. Right, the tuning of it that that where you tune that resonant frequency, that's like the bump. Okay, uh-huh. the rest of the to bring that up is the backplate. That's the holes and all that. The dampening it sort of dampens those low ends, brings the mid range down to where it can meet and be flat. Right, uh-huh. so the holes matter, of course, but the holes also dictate some of the top end, but also the sensitivity and the top and the mid the the real sweet spot of the capsule. That's all capacitive. It's weird. It's weird science. And it's all a system. That's the other part that's really hard to did. You can say, oh, I made a backplate. Great. I put some mylar on it. Cool. It made sound. It probably will sound pretty good. It's not going to sound like a telephone. 
But to really get the magic, you have to have the low end right. You have to have the capacity right. You have to have all the holes right. All the tuning is right so it doesn't break and get moisture and all that stuff. You know, and they're also sort of a sealed system. So if you don't vent it correctly, if you take it up in the airplane, it'll blow up like a balloon, you know. So there's all these little things that all the system has to be okay. And then, of course, the system of the amplifier matters too because you've got the tube the, the transformer, there's a really tight relationship to it. If you don't bias things correctly, if you don't have that correct bias. And that's one another thing that I think we shine in is that Dave really focuses on making sure that the tube and the transformer relationship and how the tra- and the power supply all function together in that system is very important. And again, with the Type 19, which is a FET mic, it's only running off 48 volts, right? But we bias the, the FET in a way that adds some vibe. You know what I mean? It's like something that that was when we did all those tests at in, in Nashville, there was one that just stuck out. We were like measuring like, oh, it would be weird, but it's just it just works. You know, there's all those little things. <laughs> it's a funny thing about really good sounding gear. I know for me, it takes me five seconds or 10 seconds. And it's like, yeah, OK, I get it. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then you come up with something you go, yeah, OK, I get it. That's what happened to me with your 47, even on headphones on the floor, your 247. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I get this. That, that mic gives you goosebumps sometimes. There's yeah. some guys that have just heard it. And we'll, I, there's at least two guys that I know, and I'm, I'm being a little braggy, but there's at least two guys that sold their vintage mics after hearing it. That's a really like, holy crap. And that the 251, so there's... um. I was out, I kind of make regular trips to out, out West just because LA is a, I just like to be in, I want to, from my, I've got some sales background. So I'm like, I got to keep in front of these guys. You know what I mean? I want to make sure. So I did a pod, another podcast that hasn't been published. Maybe I won't ever, but who knows? But um, part of it was this woman, his wife, who did the podcast, his wife has sang into it. She's a beautiful singer. And you know how most singers, they kind of get a little bit, they don't like their voice or whatever. They just kind of like kind of go through the motions, but I was sitting there and we weren't filming and she started singing into that 251 that was at the show. And she had a moment. It was sort of like, I kind of watched it. I saw the goosebumps happen and she looked at me. She's like, I don't like my voice through headphones, but this sounds amazing. And she sang, continued to sing through it. And now she's just, won't, you know, she can't stop talking about getting one, you know, and it was that emotional connection that, the goosebumps, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That happens, and that that with when that connects. I mean, for me, that's like, oh, come, on, yeah, I won. You know, it's yeah. like, that, you know, that happened with her, and it was wild to watch. To be honest, it was something that I won't forget. Okay, last question, Eric. This is something that I'm sure you can speak to since you've been in business for a while now. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe somebody imparted to you, or you learned along the way? You know, it's interesting. Some of the best advice was to just do it yourself. Don't like try to go out and get a bunch of money and just, you know, I, you know, I, I bootstrapped the business myself and it's just like, it's all ours still. And I think that was, somebody told me was like, don't go out and try to get a bunch of money to investors, you know, just build it yourself, keep it yourself, do it right, go slow and pay, you know, pace yourself. Cause you can go, that's the crazy thing about this business. You think that it's like, you know, I, I have held off. If I think I go through Vintage Kings, I sell through them and one other, you know, retailer. Um, I've held off 
from some of the big ones, not because I don't, I, I want to go there. I want, I'd love to sell through all of them, but I don't want to bury myself because it can happen really quick, you know? So I've been kind of that, that was some really good advice. And then one other piece of advice I got from a really good, somebody that's been in the business for a long time that I didn't listen to and he used to just don't do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like, what are you crazy? What are you thinking? Yeah, so, yeah, right. <laughs> he's like, he's been, this person has been in the, in, in the, you know, in some, some music sort of, retail business, like not microphones with something similar. And he was just like, just don't do it. <laughs> I didn't listen. You can find out more about Eric and Heisman microphones at HeismanAudio.com. That's Heisman Audio, H-E-I-S-E-R-M-A-N, audio, all one word, dot com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at BobbyOsinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOwnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.